I'm Carol Barks and welcome to Before It Begins. Today we'll be discussing listening to really hear and I'm going to give you a quick view into a moment of my childhood that exemplifies why I think you should care about this topic. So I grew up in Henderson, Nevada, which is the city just next to Las Vegas. And for me, summer was all about swimming. And if you know anything about those desert summers in Las Vegas, you know that summer and swimming isn't just about fun. It's a necessity because it's so dang hot there. And so it was logical way to beat the heat. And my family had a pool where I spent so many of my days. And if you can think back to that time, it wasn't the time where I spent five, 10 minutes getting lathered up in sunscreen by my mom. Instead, my sister and I would lather up in tanning oil because we wanted to get tans. And we had, you know, living in the desert, these eight foot tall cinder block, not beautiful uh, fences that separated our houses and the neighbor kids would climb a ladder over so that they could come into the pool and rough house with me. And these moments of just being in that backyard and playing were just everything to me. And our pool was situated in the corner of our backyard. So you'd walk past down the side of our house and where the side of our house met our backyard, that was where the pool was. And my dad had built a redwood uh, deck that had about six steps that you would climb up and then you could walk and get into the pool that way. And speaking of my dad, he was like a MacGyver kind of guy. He could fix and do and build anything, which became a critical point of the story because the summer's probably my eight or nine year old summer, the pool pump went out on our pool. And when we talk about the pool, it was not one of those beautiful things. It was an above ground, round blue doughboy swimming pool with the liner and, you know, not glamorous at all, but it worked. It worked for us. But when the pump went out on this, that meant the pool was completely out of service, which for me meant summer and all of my fun came to a screeching halt. So the pool had to be emptied, the pump had to be fixed, and days and days went by as my dad worked on this project. And me, being a fish, was really not very patient about all those torturous days where I didn't get to be in the water, where I felt like life belonged for me at that point in time. But then one miraculous day, my dad walked into the kitchen where my mom was and he announced that he had fixed the pool pump. And for me, those, I kid you not, were the best words that I heard all summer and maybe some of the best words in my whole life. So I was so happy and just over the top that life could get back to normal. I could get back into the water. I could start roughhousing again. I could get out of the house and do all those fun things. I just bolted. So my room was upstairs. I ran upstairs taking two stairs at a time. I put on my little pink striped swimsuit. I ran down the stairs. When I got to about the bottom five, I just dumped and dived off of those stairs so that I didn't have to waste any more time. I grabbed the first towel that I could find, 
ran past my mom down the side of our house, figure about 50 feet or so, up those six steps of the redwood deck, and I dove right into that pool. Bliss, but not really, because there was one teeny problem. So my dad had fixed the pump, but he had just barely started filling the pool with water and it maybe only had about 10 inches of water in it. And uh, I knocked myself out. So luckily my dad was standing on the side of the pool, still kind of dinking around with that pump. He was able to get me out of the pool and take me to the hospital. And uh, from there, I really shot myself in the foot because I had a concussion and I had to wait even more days till I could start swimming again so that my brain could actually heal from the impact of diving into a pool with no water. So I tell you this story about my blunder so that I can talk to you about how you can be a better listener because if I had listened better back then, then I could have maybe avoided that story from happening. And so today I wanna to share with you four simple things that you can do to improve your listening that will help you notice gradual and improved uh, changes in the way that you can communicate. And when I, they're easy, but when I say easy or they're simple, simple and easy are not always really something that you can adopt. But what I want you to do is maybe bookmark this podcast and try one or two of the things that I talked to you about today and then come back and add some more. If you try adding all of these at the same time, you'll likely maybe try them for a little bit and then you'll forget about them. But when you do this, um, over time and really lean in to being a better listener, it is incredible what it can do for you. So through my lens as a neuroscience-based communication and conflict consultant and mediator, I've mediated or overseen more than 14,000 cases, and I've helped people daily with the tools that I'm going to share with you today. And I believe and know from my experience that beyond a shadow of a doubt, when we listen better, we really, in essence, unharness a superpower. And this superpower helps us resolve conflicts faster. It helps us discover opportunities that we might not otherwise have available to us. And we create trust and stronger connections with others. So how about we dig in with some of these, shall we? So the first thing that I want you to think about is really how you prepare yourself to listen, because there's a part of that that really happens before anything begins. So when you listen, if you're really going to listen to others, you also have to be able to listen to yourself first. So how are you feeling at the moment that you're entering into a conversation? Are you fully present or are you preoccupied? And if you're preoccupied, then you're going to miss some of the listening cues and information that people are trying to convey to you. And you also might not be paying attention to those intrinsic things that are going on really under the hood of your brain 
So one of the things we know from neuroscience is that most of the work that our brain is doing is happening under the hood that we're not consciously aware of. And that part of our brain has information it wants to share with us, as does our body, as does information we're getting from the outside world. But if we're just barreling through a conversation, we're missing a lot of those cues and not paying attention to really hearing. So I want you, especially when they're critical conversations, I want you to take a moment to slow down. I want you to take a moment to leave the rest of the world behind you so that you can be all in for the conversation that you're having. And the higher the stakes of those conversations, the more important it is that you do this. At the same time, I want you to check your filters because a lot of times that intrinsic part of our brain has a lot of biases, a lot of filtering of information that makes us pay attention to that information in ways that may not be accurate. So how you view a situation might be really different from how I view and process a different the same situation. And so we really want to pay attention to, am I really listening to the person? Am I really taking it in? Or am I applying what I already believe to be true over the conversation and now peppering it with my prejudices or my beliefs? And you'll find that this can be a really hard thing to do. It's especially hard when it's somebody that we're mad at or somebody that we're hurt by, or even people that we have long-term relationships with. So sometimes if you can think back for a minute and you meet a stranger, and for some reason you're in a circumstance where you're just chatting with this stranger, typically we're all in, right? We're listening, we're not judging, we're just listening what they have to say. And we're asking questions because we're curious and we're interested and we're not, really giving them the hard time that we give the people that we interact with regularly because we've formed opinions about those people. We've talked about whether we think they're honest or good or bad, and we start giving them adjectives and labels that really impact our listening process. So I really want you to try to put aside what your preconceived notions are so that you can listen more fully. You'll have time to overlay all those beliefs later, but if you go in with your beliefs of what you're going to hear, you're missing a lot. So I want you to make sure that you're not just listening to hear what you want to hear. So for instance, if I'm mad at somebody, I might just be listening for things to confirm why I'm mad at them. If I think that they are the enemy, I might be looking for reasons why I think they're the enemy. And so the remedy for doing this is slowing down. Just take some time, just fact check yourself and see if you can be present. Sometimes if you're really stressed about the things that you're listening to, that might be paying attention to how you're breathing. It might be walking around so that you can get rid of some of those stress chemicals that race through your body. And I want you to also really think about removing obstacles. So there's internal obstacles to listening, which 
were some of the things that I was just talking about, but they also might be things that I'm tired and I didn't get a really good night's sleep, or maybe I'm not feeling well, and or maybe I have too many things on my plate and I don't have time to listen. Um, sometimes it's multitasking. And sometimes there's external barriers, like maybe there's a lot of work that's going on around the building that you're at. Maybe your coworkers are talking really loud so you can't hear very well and you're distracted, but you have agency to fix those things. And so sometimes that means making a plan B for whatever listening session that you're going to have. So an example would be my son, uh, who doesn't live with me anymore, but when he did, he wanted to be a professional gamer. And that's a topic I don't know a whole lot about. And I also wanted him to go to college rather than be a professional gamer. So I had a lot of internal biases about the conversations that we had. But I also love my son more than anything else in the world. And so he would pop into my office and I might be writing a speech or a chapter of my book or working with a client and he would start talking and I'd be typing and going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and not really interested in the topic, interested in him, but also very distracted. And so we made a strategy and a deal that he would come in and if I didn't have the ability to be fully present for him, I would tell him and I would say something like, baby, I really want to hear what you have to say. And I really also need to get these couple thoughts out of my brain and onto paper because I'm on a roll and I don't want to forget them. If you can give me five minutes, I'll get that on paper. I will come find you. We will sit together facing each other with no distractions and I'll hear everything it is that you want to tell me. And with that, it avoided him feeling rejected because I wasn't really giving him my full attention. And it also gave me an opportunity to really lean into what he was saying. And boy, did it help me learn a little bit more about his passion with gaming. And it helped me support him as his parent. And it also helped me not feel frustrated or distracted from what I was doing. So we could meet each other's goals and our relationship really got stronger and better once we implemented something as simple as the ability to say, can we have a timeout just for a second till I can be there for you? And he did that in reverse to me. If maybe he was studying for finals or maybe he was getting ready to game and I wanted to share something, he in reverse could do that. So setting up some of those processes with those people that you really, really care about um, or that you work with all the time can make that gap so much easier to overcome. So moving on from that, the next thing that I really want you to pay attention to is fact checking what you've heard so that you're really getting all the information. So with the story that I told you, all I heard was that the pump was fixed. And then the rest of the story I told myself was that that meant the pool was better. If I had slowed myself down long enough that I could have asked my dad, if that meant I could swim now, if I could have asked 
um, if that meant everything was okay, it would have stopped me from having a horrific accident that could have been much worse than it actually ended up being. So with that in mind, when you are listening to people, I want to say something so important that I'll probably say it twice. When somebody tells you something and you say, yeah, okay, and then you go on, okay is not a full sentence. Okay does not tell the listener that you heard them. You haven't acknowledged them. You haven't let them know that what they said landed with you and you're just letting their information just drop. So oftentimes, if we're asking questions of people, we do it from our agenda, from our brains, where I'll ask you something and you tell me and I say, okay. And then I ask you the next question and you tell me something and I say, okay. Well, that's really more of a monologue than it is a dialogue. They're giving you information, but you're not doing anything with it. What I want you to do is follow up with curiosity and with questions, or even with just clarifying what it is that you heard them say. And when that happens, people feel heard so much more because you've told them what it is that you've taken away from what they've said. You don't have to make it word for word and you don't have to make it clunky and weird, but you can summarize the moral of the story that they said. So if somebody says, I'm really mad. I tried to tell you this last week and you didn't listen to me at all. And now we have this big problem and now it's going to be much harder to solve than it would have been if you had just listened to me. I don't want to say, okay, so we have this problem. What are we going to do now? What I want to say is, ah, I'm hearing that you're frustrated and that we could have dealt with this last week in a more holistic way. And now we have a bigger problem because I didn't really hear you. And people will respond with yes. And then they'll tell you a little bit more. So when you're listening, there's two things that are really important to acknowledge that people say. One is the emotion that they're expressing and one is their value statements. So they'll tell you what they're thinking, but there's usually some emotion or value or something that indicates what's really important about what it is that they're saying to you. And if you can pick that out and reflect that back to them, people feel heard more and they feel more satisfied with their interactions because they feel like you really got them. And one way you know that people are not feeling like you've gotten them is when you start hearing people repeating the same thing again and again. So you might find yourself in a circumstance where somebody says something and you say, yeah, you told me that. And then a little bit later, they say it again. And you say, I know, I heard you say that. And then maybe they keep saying it. When you hear that type of messaging to you, what they're telling you is that they don't feel like you've gotten them. So that means you need to slow down and make sure that you're actually getting them and that they know that you're getting them. And another way that you can do this is to clarify. So ask them, what I'm getting out of this is 
this, this, and this and summarize it. And then that gives them the ability to say, no, that's not what I was trying to say at all. Um, what I really wanted you to know is this. But people are okay when you get it wrong because they're happy to correct you and you're still making progress in the right direction. So I really want you to give back by curiosity, by parroting or repeating back the summary of what people are saying to you. And I want you to do a couple things that can be really hard that stop the communication process, oftentimes cold. And one is when somebody says something to you and you dismiss it, or you go to right fighting, or you go to being defensive about why you did something. All of those things negate the listening process and people don't feel heard. So I want you to hear them and I want you to acknowledge that it's important to them. And I want you never, ever, ever to use words like calm down or just get over it or that wasn't my fault or that's your problem. All those things are things that hurt your conversations and show that you're not really hearing the person that you're listening to. So I also want you to do something that I also struggle with. So I can tell you this, and I can also tell you I make mistakes about it all the time, but I want you to let people finish saying what they're going to say. Let them finish their sentence. Stop interrupting people. We'll talk next time about how to speak to be better heard and how you can make it less enticing for people to want to interrupt you. But in the meantime, I'm talking about the things that you can do. And so I want you to let people finish. And then I want you to summarize what they're saying and hearing them. And then once we've got them fully unpacked with what it is that they want to do, then that's where you can move on with the conversations and add your part in there. And to exemplify how this works out, is if you're not curious, you miss a lot of opportunities to share information. And years ago, I was mediating a case about um, a couple who had been divorced and they were fighting over a collection of Orca collectibles that had been obtained during the course of their marriage. And when they got divorced, the wife, the ex-wife was storing a lot of these totes with her things in her husband's garage and all of that was fine and she was down to the last box of things which was a collection of these orcas that she had collected over time and she wanted the box and the ex-husband would not give them to her and so she filed a claim in court and it came to me to be mediated and my first questions of listening were, tell me about these. And she told me about the collection and they were hers and how they were in his garage and that everything had been fine. Here's the last thing. And he wouldn't give them to her. So I turned to him and said, do you have those things in your garage? And he said, yes, ma'am, I do. And I said, are they hers? And he said, Yes, ma'am, they are. And I thought, this is going to be really easy. All I have to do now is say, can she have them? Because there's no argument about ownership. And so I go in for the clothes and say, 
can she have them? And he says, yeah, no. And I said, wait, what? They're hers. You have them. And, and I said, do you want them? And he says, no, I don't want them. And I said, do you want to keep them in your garage? And he says, no, I want space. And I said, so help me understand why she can't have them. And he said, because she's a pain in the butt. Every time she gets something from my garage, there's something missing or something broken and we have a fight and I'm just tired of it. So I'm just not willing to give her anything else because I just don't want to fight anymore about this. So we continued on with this and it could have just been a fight, right? She could have said, well, you do. If we're not listening to each other, she's going to start saying, well, you do break my stuff and you have kept this and you have kept that. And we start right fighting and he could say, yeah, and you did this and you made a scene and we go nowhere. But instead, we continued to ask questions. We continued to listen to get to what his pain points were. And the next questions were, if we could figure out a way to do the exchange peacefully and it brings an end to all of this fighting and this ambiguity of is something going to be wrong would you be open to that and he was and what he decided he wanted was a list of everything that she thought was in there and he would go through and make sure it was there and have it ready for her and take care of it to the best of his ability and then she, at the same time, agreed that with that list and whatever she got, she'd be happy with all of it. So if something was missing or something was damaged, she was okay with letting that go. So it was a long, probably hour and a half of her thinking through all of the things that she had. But at the end of the day, they were able to come together through listening to what mattered to both of them and exploring how they could do that. And they wouldn't have been able to do that if they had continued to be right fighting and dismissive. So asking those questions and really being able to explore them in a way that is peaceful in a tone that's kind and acknowledging of what we all feel it goes such a long way for the other person. And so with that in mind, we with this Shamu story, it's also about letting other people unpack themselves first. When I teach negotiation, I oftentimes teach people to hold back in what it is that they're saying. Not because I don't want them to share information, but if you go into a negotiation, my assumption is that you know what you want, but we don't know what the other person wants. And I've found so many times that you would find it surprising that people actually want the same thing. They just haven't talked to each other at all about it. So when you start conversations that might be difficult or that are exploratory, I want you to really ask the other person, what are they after? What do they want? What do they need from whatever conversation that you're having? And that's where I want you to really listen, really ask those questions, and then let them summarize what it is you think that they're after, like I said a little bit ago. But then I want you to realize that once 
they've had the opportunity to be heard, they're far more likely to be open to listening to you first. Listening has to start somewhere and it really doesn't matter where and we can't control the other people, but we can control ourselves. So when you have the key to a superpower, go ahead and use it in there. And I use it oftentimes that even though I'm doing this podcast with you, I'm actually an introvert. And so I do much better in small groups. Like I'm not ever going to be in that girl pod in Vegas going party. You know, it's just not my thing. I don't have that small talk gene in me. Um, I'd much rather have deeper one-on-one conversations. And yet when I'm invited to parties, um, now I'm put into that situation, right? Where I have to talk to other people. And I use these skills of listening to actually help me with the fact that I'm an introvert. So I can go to a party and match up with any given person and talk to them forever just by asking them questions about themselves. Uh, Maybe throwing in a teeny bit about myself just so that I don't feel like I'm interrogating them or they don't feel like it. But at the end of the party, they'll go, man, that Carol was great. She was so nice. I've never told anyone all these things that I've told about her and I just met her. And what happens is we just have a hard time listening and we have a hard time having people listen to us. And if you think about people that you think are really kind or that you're really drawn to, a lot of times they do have that skill set where they'll listen to you, not because they're trying to do prove anything, they're trying to get anything from you, but really they just care about you and they can listen in silence. And isn't that beautiful? And I want you to learn that also being silent and just listening is a strength. It's a strength that we oftentimes aren't comfortable with, but if you can just pause, people talk and they share information and that's really, really helpful too. So listen, listen, listen. And the last thing that I wanna share with you is to also learn to pay attention to what is not being said. So this means that you might want to learn a little bit about nonverbal communication if you don't know that already, because people will give you messaging, not in words, but in their body language. So if I'm leaning in and talking to you and we're having a good conversation or a good negotiation, and all of a sudden I cross my arms and lean back and you take a deep breath, what does that tell you? Well, it probably should tell you that something you just said did not settle with me. And if you keep barreling through the conversation, guess what happens now? I'm not listening to you. And you're also missing an opportunity to figure out what triggered me. So I want you to learn to speak to nonverbal cues just as much as you speak to the words. When we take the most commonly quoted research on nonverbal communication, it tells us that the words are only worth 7% of what we communicate. So that means 93% would be our tone or our posture or our body language. And some more recent research has said, no, the words are worth more than that. But typically people don't give the words more than 30% of the credit for communication. So that means if you're not dealing with nonverbal communication, you're also leaving a lot of what you're 
hearing, whether it's through your eyes or your ears, um, left uh, behind to be dealt with. Uh, another really interesting example is when somebody says, is this okay with you? And the person says, yeah, it's fine. That's not fine because people practice what they're saying, but they don't practice their body language. So when you see things that are not congruent, those are things for you to lean into and ask questions and learn more about so that you can fact check if what you're getting from them verbally is really what they would like to convey. And when people are seen, they appreciate that. So along with being seen, we had mentioned, um, or I had mentioned in the last podcast, is that when we don't have all the dots connected, we go to this evil plot twist and we create negative scenarios. And one of the ways that you can avoid that when you're listening to people, it was is with something we call a Mona Lisa smile. And a Mona Lisa smile is something that activates the muscles around your eyes and it's a soft smile and it's a safe smile. So when we look at people and we see this, that smile actually generates trust in the person with whom we're communicating by more than 20%. And that is far more effective than that face that we oftentimes call the resting bitch face, or sometimes people think it's their professional face where you're talking to me and I go, mm-hmm, yep, okay, what's next? That neutral face is scary to our brains because our brains don't know how to interpret it. They don't know, are you tracking with me? Do you like me? Do you believe in me? Or do you think I'm you know, ridiculous? And that makes our brains rev and causes us more stress. And I'll tell you a final story about how valuable that skill set is. So we all have something called mirror neurons that help our brains sync with one another and they give us signals that our brain takes on um, understanding other people's emotions and their empathy. And my husband is not in the same field of work. He's a horticulturist and he is the baby of a family that has four girls and him. And he learned to be very quiet and not use a lot of words to get through the fray of all the girls fighting in his family. And because conflict is my world, I don't have a lot of it personally, but when I do, I don't use any of the skills that I share with you because I lose my mind. So instead of sounding like this reasonable person, I sound like a chihuahua, you know, where I go, and then I take a breath and I go at it some more. And my husband thinks it's really funny because it doesn't happen very often. So he leans in and he listens. And he does the things that I've been telling you to do. And he'll say things like, get it all out. Is there more you want to share? I'm here for all of it. But he also starts with that Mona Lisa smile because he's so entertained by it. And then what happens is because our facial expressions sync, I start involuntarily smiling because my expressions will match his by way of these neurons. And then I get so mad because I'm like, ah, he's got me because I don't want to smile. I want to be mad. 
but it's over, you know? And so then I, you know, I'll usually our conversations go, I'm not done being mad. And he'll say, I know, but can we talk now instead of yell? Like, do we have enough now? And, and we do, and then we can have a normal conversation. I want you to try it. It's magic. So as children, I find we're not taught to listen. We're told to listen, right? It's something that's imparted to us as a behavioral modification skill. And you add to that, that if you've noticed, and we certainly have in this field of work, that society has gotten so much naughtier and we don't prioritize listening. We prioritize talking and we prioritize talking at the expense of everyone else. And that's not really helping the peace that I would love to see in the world and the peace that I'm thinking you probably would also like to see in the world. And so this is where I really want you to lean into this. And if you can reflect on my stories and prepare to listen and practice listening and fact check what you're hearing and allowing other people to really express themselves, even if that means you have to wait a little bit, then you unleash that superpower that I promise you, you have within you and your relationships and opportunities will improve significantly. So these techniques and many others are some that I share daily with my clients, whether through mediating, consulting, training or coaching. And if you'd like to learn more or have any conversation about how I can help you or your team, please check out my website, carolbarks.com. I would love to hear from you and engage with you. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it with others and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Until next time, I'm Carol Barks with Before It Begins. Thanks for spending some time with me.